Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio this Sunday. We're so glad that you're here with us on this second Sunday of Lent. But I've got to go ahead and warn you to buckle in. We have got a passage today that is, uh, that is going to be challenging. We've got a story that we need to wrestle with. And we are going to be going both deep and fast uh, because I've got a lot to talk about and a little amount of time to do it. So I'm just asking you to just hold on and go ahead and turn in the book of Genesis to our scripture passage for today, uh, because today we're going to be continuing our study of Abraham and the God who keeps his promises by looking at how God dealt with the children of Abraham. Now, part of God's promise to Abraham was that his children and the generations of his family would change the world, that through him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And if the Bible tells us anything about families, it tells us that family stuff is complicated. And the family stuff of Abraham is really complicated. Now, the, the story of Ishmael and Isaac is one of those awkward stories of the Bible. And, as, and for as long as I can remember being in church or even in Sunday school, it's one of those stories that we try to get past as quickly as we can. It's like an unpleasant trip to the dentist. But it's not just awkward. For generations, this episode has also been a source of broader political and cultural tension. Because this story is seen as the origin of the bad blood, bad blood among Jews and Christians and Muslims, among Israelis and Arabs and Palestinians, between the Christian West and the Muslim East. Because the relationship between Ishmael and Isaac and the complexity of that relationship even begins to foreshadow the complexity of the situation in the Middle East and the world Today, it's because to millions of Muslims in the world, Ishmael is considered to be the father of Arabs. And therefore, to them, the story of Ishmael and Isaac exposes what they consider to be a hijacked destiny, a, a stolen birthright. And therefore, it's the seed of the headlines of violence that we've read even as recently as this morning. But there's another level to this story as well. The story of Ishmael and Isaac is also a personal stumbling block for a lot of people. It's a heart-rending story that triggers a lot of feelings, feelings of fairness and abandonment. I mean, one child, Isaac, is often celebrated while the other, Ishmael, seems overlooked. By many, it's read as a personal story of rejection by a cruel and indifferent God who sets aside people who just don't seem to fit in his schemes. And when people who are marginalized read this story, they often feel validated to mistrust God or to distrust his people. In other words, see, I told you that you can't trust those people. I told you that you can't trust God. And so as we look at all of that, as we look at everything that we bring to this story, whether it's bias or political ideas or ideology or world religion, whatever it is we bring to this story, we need to get down into the story and ask, what does this, what does the story, what does this text really tell us? Because the story of Isaac and Ishmael needs a reappraisal on so many levels. 
And there's some new questions that we need to ask. I mean, is it a story of rejection or redemption? Is it a story that should provoke resentment and retribution or restoration and reconciliation? And so today we're going to be looking at really three different passages, but we're going to start with our scripture reading in Genesis 17, verses 18 to 21. Those other passages are chapter 16 and chapter 21 of Genesis. But let's start in chapter 17. Verse 18, it says, And Abram said to God, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. And behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And so today, as we turn to your word, we ask that you would illumine us so that in the complexity of this family situation and the story of these two brothers, we might find not only your present lessons, but your eternal truth. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. So after my sermon last week, <clears throat> someone wrote to Morgan and said, you can't microwave God's plans. They should be cooked in a slow cooker. And when you microwave God's plans, when you try to rush them, what happens? They blow up. And that's what happened last week. As we talked about Sarai and Abram's impatience with God to give them a child, we saw that that led to disaster and blew up the family. After 10 years, Abram and Sarah became impatient. They began to despair that God would not keep his promises, particularly the promise of children. And so Sarah made an indecent, desperate proposal to Abraham. She would command her maidservant, an Egyptian named Hagar, to sleep with Abram to give him a child. Now, we all know that Abram should have never agreed. But he was desperate and he was doubtful too. And so Hagar conceived. And Sarah became jealous and Hagar treated her mistress with contempt. And even though she was pregnant with Abram's child, Sarah held, heaped so much abuse on Hagar that she ran off away into the desert. I mean, one moment, Hagar is Sarah's most trusted servant and confidant. And the next, she is her greatest rival, her greatest embarrassment, and her greatest enemy. But while she was out in the desert, running from her mistress, the angel of the Lord saw Hagar out in the wilderness, alone and afraid, abused and confused, and said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And then the Lord made her a promise. The angel of the Lord said to Hagar, 
I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And Hagar obeyed the Lord and returned to Abram and Sarai. And the Lord gave Abram a son by Hagar, and Abram named him Ishmael. And the name Ishmael means, listen to this, God hears. God hears. So it was an ugly, sordid episode of impatience and betrayal and fear and hurt. But 15 years later, the Lord came again to Abraham. God said, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into a great nation and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to God, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. But this time, the Lord was more specific too. He said, I will bless Sarah. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her. And she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Now, thinking of his, his firstborn son, thinking of his beloved child, Abram made a plea for the only son he knew. And he said, oh, Lord, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Oh, that you would not forget Ishmael. But God answered, that's not my plan. But here is what I am going to do for Ishmael. And the Lord made another promise about Ishmael. That's number two for anybody who's counting. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make, make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. And he shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So Isaac would be the child that God had promised. And he would inherit the promised land. And through him... The Lord would work his plan of redemption and restoration to save the world. He is the one through whom all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. But what about Ishmael? I mean, those of you who remember in the old days, in the daytime game shows, there was always a big prize or a showcase and the winner, that the winners got, and then there was a what? A consolation prize that the losers got. They would give those to the losers so that they would not walk away empty-handed and upset. Well, it appears that, that Isaac got the big promise, the showcase promise. And Ishmael got the consolation promise, the little one. But listen to this. The Lord did say that he would bless him and multiply him greatly. 
And yet he will be a nomad, a wild donkey, always living on the margins of the people, intense beside, but never with his kinsmen. Finally, a year later, God blessed Abraham and Sarah with a son, that son that he'd promised. Abraham was 100 years old, and it had been 25 years since God first came to him. And they named the child Isaac, which means he laughs. Because as Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abram that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God had turned Sarah's cynical laughter of despair and desperation into the laughter of joy. And trust me, we're going to say a lot more about Isaac in the weeks to come. But for now, I want to focus on Ishmael. Following Isaac's birth, Ishmael's young life took a sad turn. Sarah's resentment for Hagar grew. Every time Sarah looked at Ishmael, she felt shame. She felt desperation, inadequacy, failure, betrayal. And then one evening at a feast when Isaac was probably just about three years old, the teenage Ishmael was, catch this, he was caught making fun of his little brother. He was caught in the act of being a teenager. I mean, consider that for just a second, because Sarah demanded that Abram cast Hagar and Ishmael out of the camp into the night for the act of being a teenage older brother. I'm an older brother. I did that. Nobody kicked me out of the camp. I can see some of you looking at your older brothers right now. You know, my big brother is, my little brother is actually older, or excuse me, not older. He's bigger than I am now, so I might get it one day, but but the point is, he's expelled from the camp. The demand was cruel. And it upset Abraham greatly. But God told Abraham to submit to his wife, even though he was heartbroken. But the Lord told him this. He said, I promised to take care of Ishmael. I've made him promises. And so Abram packed up food and water and sent them away out of the camp and into the wilderness. Now the wilderness of Beersheba is brutal. And after a while, as the water and food ran out, Hagar knew that she and her son would inevitably die of exposure. So she began to weep. Scripture says that God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. And then, for the third time, for those of you who are counting, the angel confirmed God's promise to Ishmael. Up! Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. 
And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water bubbling up from the ground. And she went and she filled the skim with water and gave the boy a drink. And then the story, the story turns and looks into the future as the biblical narrator tells us about what was to become of Ishmael. It says, God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. He grew up. He got married. He had children who became a numerous people. And the Lord was faithful to his promise. And Ishmael also gets a happily ever after. But I want to take a pause for a second because several extraordinary things happen in this episode. While Hagar and Ishmael are in the wilderness. I mean, first, listen to this. The story tells us that the angel of God shows up to save them. Who is this angel of God? Most of the time we read something like this and we we think, oh, it's it's just one of the heavenly hosts. It's just one of God's many messengers. But scholars and mystics have debated about that for centuries. It's a mystery. Is this just one among many angels or is this a special title, the angel of the Lord, the angel of God? From ancient times, the, the Eastern Orthodox Church has believed that this is not just some ordinary angel, if there is such a thing as an ordinary angel. But they believe that this is an Old Testament appearance of the New Testament Savior. It's not just one of many angels, but one of the multiple pre-incarnation appearances of Jesus. Second, The story reminds Hagar that Ishmael is not forsaken, but is indeed blessed by God the Father. Your life is not over. Though Ishmael lies over against a rock as though dead, he will live. He is saved. The God of the universe will not only preserve his life, providing living water, that is a bubbling spring for him, but he will also multiply his descendants for generations. That is a God the Father-sized promise. And then third, Scripture tells us that the presence of God was with Ishmael for the rest of his life. The presence of God. This is an Old Testament declaration of God the Holy Spirit. And so right here, we have an Old Testament presentation of the Trinity. God the Father, the promise maker. God the Son, literally the messenger, the Word of God, the Savior. And God the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. All together, three in one. Stepping back in, why should we care about any of this? And this is an obscure story about something that happened a long time ago in a place we don't even recognize that most people skip over as quickly as they can. This doesn't even seem to follow the main line of the story of the Bible. Why should we care about any of this, and what does it have to do with us? Well, as we we really get into this study, we see that the story of, of Ishmael begs a new look, a new appraisal, and that we should look at Israel 
uh, Ishmael with new eyes. And consider this. We celebrate Isaac as promised, blessed, favored, a child of destiny, longed for and prayed for, through whom God would save the world. But on the other hand, we, we judge Ishmael as rejected, cast aside, abandoned, and even condemned. We, we pity him. But a new look at Ishmael's life should help us see the grace and the mercy and the patience of God. Three times the Lord declared a blessing over Ishmael and kept his promise through the generations. God cared about Hagar and Ishmael and saved them in the desert. And moreover, even though it seems that Ishmael was always on the outside of God's covenant looking in, Abraham still circumcised him and gave Ishmael the physical sign and seal that marked him with God's covenant promises. But in addition to a new look, a new appraisal, the story of Ishmael also begs new faith. Put yourself in the scene. Things looked really bad for Hagar and Ishmael. In spite of all the promises, it still feels like Ishmael was kicked to the curb by the Lord. I mean, was Ishmael ejected from God's plan of redemption and restoration? Were he and his descendants permanently expelled from God's purposes? Of course not. But we don't see that part until generations later. It takes a lot of faith to believe that Ishmael's story, that this boy's life will have a happy ending. But faith is looking beyond the hard scene and believing that God has a bigger story, a plan that he's going to work out even if we never see it with our own eyes. Again, consider this. The very first verse of the New Testament, the New Testament, Matthew 1.1 declares... Jesus Christ is the son of David, the son of Abraham. From Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, whom God renamed Israel, from Israel through 12 generations, it culminates in Jesus. And when Jesus is born and presented in the temple, the first person he meets is an old prophet named Simeon who spent his whole life waiting in the temple for the arrival of the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. And Simeon declares that, that he is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. The word Gentile means outsider, non-Jew, the one who is outside the camp. So in those terms, Ishmael is the Gentile. If Isaac represents God's plans to send a savior, Ishmael represents the people he came to save, both Jew and Gentile insider and outsider. God cares about the outsider. 
And there's so much New Testament scripture I could quote here. The apostle Paul says that the very mystery of Christ, the radical, unbelievable, breaking news revealed by Jesus is this. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Through Jesus Christ, he says in Galatians, they become sons of Abraham. It becomes, or excuse me, it takes a generational faith, a faith with the patience of history to see that the story of Isaac does not end with Isaac and that the story of Ishmael does not end with Ishmael. Just as God was with Ishmael as he was growing up, God has been preparing the children of Ishmael, Arabs, Palestinians, Muslims of every variety, from that time until now, for Jesus. Such that the movement of Muslims coming to Christ in places like Iran and Indonesia and Africa is one of the fastest growing movements in the world. God the Holy Spirit always goes ahead of us. And this whole time, God has been with them preparing God's lost children to come home through Jesus. God is working out a bigger purpose, not just the blessing of one family and a few people, but the blessing and restoration of all the families of the earth, including Ishmael's family. This story is not just historical or theological. It's also political and personal because it begs us to reconsider how we watch the news, how we look at our neighbors, how we read the headlines, and even how we look at God in our own lives. It's political, and I could talk for a long time about this, but let me sum up by saying it's political because right now, there is and has for a long time been a war raging among the children of Abraham, Jews, Muslims, Christians. And people are dying because of the simplistic ways people have read this complex story. And they've allowed it to shape their views of the other side for generations. And so how much more then can a sober reading of God's word challenge us to think more soberly and more compassionately about the people that we label as enemies, even in light of the atrocities of Hamas on, on October 7th or even 9-11. But this story also speaks on a personal level as well. So many people read this story of Ishmael as a story of rejection. And feeling rejected themselves by family, by culture, by friends, by society, and even by the church. They look at the God of Abraham and they think, he's just a God of rejection. He's a God who plays favorites, who will kick you out into the desert if you don't fit his scheme. But I hope a new look at the story will also give us 
a new faith in the Father. Because remember, the name Ishmael means God hears. This story is about the God who hears us. This gospel is not just theory or theology. It's a promise that God hears. That he hears you, that he hears me, that he hears us. Nowadays we would say that God sees us. But if the name Ishmael means God hears, then beloved, we all bear the name Ishmael. Because God hears and he takes seriously the cries of his children. In the famous opening line of Herman Melville's classic novel, Moby Dick, the main character introduces himself by saying, call me Ishmael. Ishmael. That God hears us is a name that any of us may claim. And yet it is a name that we must claim by faith. To be Ishmael, I have to humble myself enough to repent and remember that I'm the one in the wilderness, that I'm the one that needs to be saved, that I can't do it myself, that I need the son of Isaac, I need Jesus, call me Ishmael because I believe that I am the Gentile outsider whom God loves. Call me Ishmael because I believe that God hears us. Call me Ishmael because I believe that Jesus cares enough to save us in our wilderness. Call me Ishmael because I believe that he is present with me by his Holy Spirit. And by his grace, he will bring me home into his family. Call me Ishmael, because I believe that God has a bigger story. One that transcends the tragedy, the, the rejection of the moment. A plan that he is going to work out even if we never see it with our own eyes in our own generation. Beloved, no matter what separates you from God, whether it's grief or hurt or betrayal or temptation or sin or abuse or addiction or abandonment, whatever your wilderness, God, the Holy Spirit, is present with those who cry out to Him. God heard Ishmael, and God hears you. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, this story is complex, but it, at its heart, is a simple truth that you hear 
your people. For all of us who feel outside or rejected, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you've provided a way back in to your table, to your home, to your heart, to your family. But Lord, help us to have the humility to cry out to you. All of us who are Gentiles, who are outsiders, to your covenant chosen people, help us to remember that we are the ones you came to save. And so help us, O Lord, to trust that just as you heard Ishmael, you will hear us when we cry out to you. May we all be called Ishmael because we believe that you hear us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.